We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Sunday's game proves to Arsenal fans all over the world that we can still care about football. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if nothing else, Sunday's game proved to me that I can still uh, care deeply about football and specifically be devastated by it. And with all the losing and drawing and bad results and crappy stuff we've been through, I've started to wonder if the game had the ability to move me. And uh, it does. Yeah. Uh, It was quite heartbreaking. So... I guess if you're looking for a silver lining, that would be it. Uh, We don't do a hell of a lot of winning anymore, and it's starting to get to be a worry, and we will get to that. There were positives from this game, which we will certainly draw out. There are some negatives from the game that will posit why they uh, bubbled to the surface. Uh, And before I introduce everybody, let me just say that I hope you have great New Year's plans and a very happy New Year planned. We have a fun New Year planned for you, or New Year's Eve anyway, because if you'd like to spend it uh, on your phone listening to a podcast, and I'm pretty sure that is in the top two or three ways to spend New Year's Eve, I will be joined by Tim Clark from Arse to Mouse to do a Arsenal Memories of the Decade pod for patrons. So if you've thought about signing up for Patreon, you want to do uh, a stroll down memory lane, a decidedly probably doomy stroll, a stroll down doomy memory lane. Uh, do, not doomy, not like doomy, but like doom laden. Yuck. Anyway, uh, that'll be up on Patreon tomorrow, so I'm excited for that. And uh, obviously, we'll have the continuation of all these pods as the games come thick and fast. So we'll have a, a post-United pod after New Year's Day and all that. Uh, but I just want to let you know that that is coming. So if you're interested in that, you can do that. We are going to announce the winners of all of our giveaways on the uh, post-United pod. So that's coming up. And as always, if you do want to sign up for The Athletic, there is still time this year to save on next year and get the whole year half off 
and a month free by going to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal Vision. And of course, Clive did win, quote unquote, the holiday singing competition. You voted him the person you'd most like to hear sing, which I'm sure you only voted for because he is your favorite podcast member and not because you most want to hear him sing. But I do have the recording. And I am excited to share it with you. It is not ready yet. It will be coming out soon, but that recording is done and you can look for it uh, very shortly. So with that having been said, Paul's on Twitter, pause in my pants. Hello, pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter, Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Okay, hello, hello. Tim's on Twitter, Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Uh, plans for a Scott podcast have been in the works, as I mentioned, and they will be coming soon, as will Clive's transfer pods for patrons. Anyway, um, so let's start here. Paul, I think that the only way you can talk about this game intelligently is with another panel of people. But another way that you can talk about this game intelligently <laughs> is to divide it into the segments uh, where we were sort of dominant and where we sort of weren't. And they align pretty closely with uh, when Chelsea went with the back three at the start of the game and when they brought Jorginho on and switched to the back four. And I think it's interesting because there's some people saying that Arteta got out coached out tactic here i don't know that i agree and we'll come on to that later but if you're going to make that argument then you certainly have to say that lampard got it wrong from the start with their back three um but right from the beginning looking at this lineup were you sort of surprised at some of the selections i think ginduzi coming in excited me although as we'll come to that maybe was uh, misplaced excitement and happy to see chambers come on but once again we lose a center back to injury, but it's that front three sticking with Lacazette in his poor form and sticking with Nelson. Curious uh, what you thought about that, and then how you felt at the beginning of the game as they uh, as they got going. Yeah, so as uh, as we chatted before this, I may be totally out of step with the planet on this. Um, <clears throat> I did watch it a second time, and it does tend to create a separation in your views. I thought that Lacazette's finishing is off. There's no denying that. He's hesitant in front of goal. But I actually thought he was a very important piece of our overall play. I think the first, the front three worked really well. Nelson and Maitland-Niles was a great pairing. Uh, Torreira was on, on their side and forming triangles with them. That was really nice. Ozil was popping onto that right side with them to join the dots. Lacazette was working both sides. Aubameyang and Saka throughout the game was a great pairing in the first 30 minutes. I mean, so there's the there's the Ganduzi conversation, and I don't think you should criticize anybody in the first 30 minutes for any performance because it all worked, and that's what you take out of it. The system. Uh, we'll talk about the later part of it, but I think uh, I, I'd like to have a go at Ganduzi for the later part because I thought he was actually very good, very busy. And did his job throughout. So Torreira and Ganduzi were much were a very balanced pairing, I thought, in midfield, and they dominated. And yeah, uh, people like uh, I, I've seen the outcoached comment a few times on uh, Arteta, but he outset up um, uh, Lampard here, and he, he kind of guessed what was coming after the Spurs game. He got a spot on. We totally outplayed them. Um, with the ball and without the ball, the shape of this team for the first, certainly the first 45 was immaculate. Absolutely. Uh, I've, I haven't seen anything like that under Wenger or under Emery at any point in terms of a unit. It was like a ball of players moving uh, cohesively. And, you know, even after the 30 minutes as they started to play, they couldn't really get at us. It was all around the edges of it. The cohesion in that unit in the first 45 minutes was superb. And I think even in the early stages of the second half. So I think this, uh, I have no issues with the setup. Obviously, we lost Chambers, which it was and is a big blow. 
But in terms of the personnel, uh, I, I think it fully justified itself for the first 30, and I would say even for the first, you know, uh, 70, 80 minutes of the game. Yeah, I have to say, like, the the back three just did not work for them at all. And part of it is because I, I think we attacked it in the spaces that you have to, which is sort of the, the wings that are vacated by the, the wing backs. We had a lot of joy down, down those flanks, and especially Nelson's side. And then they couldn't get out. The way we had our structure, and I agree with you, Paul, I think we just had a, a beautiful... Um, disciplined structure off the ball that made it very, very difficult for them to play out. And I think when you're using a back three, your center backs have to start the ball progression, right? Like that, they have a lot of responsibility yeah. for building the play when, when they recover the ball. And Chelsea just could not play out for that first 30 minutes. And, and you look at their pass map and there's a lot of passing you know, laterally back and forth between center backs in their defensive third. It looks like a sort of Emery pass map for the first 30 minutes. 86 completed passes of 112 attempted and almost all of them right across the sort of defensive third or or the edge of their defensive third between center backs. So I thought we had that. Our pressing to the touchline was excellent. And yes. that involved everybody. It, 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 and the center backs pushing up high to keep it tight. I mean, it was a 10-man press in effect, even if all 10 men weren't chasing the ball. There were no gaps, and and it was a thing of beauty. Just watching that unit moving across and back across that pitch for the first 45 minutes, uh, I for all the talk of the, you know, things changed on 30 minutes, I thought it was exemplary uh, and just as encouraging what we did uh, in that period after they made their switch to the back four. Uh, I mean, it would have been great to mince them for another, you know, 15, 45 minutes, but I d- just don't think it's feasible. G- given what he came into in terms of personnel, fitness, etc., mm. I think it was incredibly heartening what we did uh, once they made their change. It was just so tight. I, yeah. I haven't seen us play like this. Yeah, I, 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 I agree that, that certainly in that first that first period, that first phase before he made the switch, it was very encouraging. And Tim, I think one of the things that was particularly encouraging was the play of Nelson. This is a player who, for me, has not necessarily been the star of the Academy kids coming through. And he's the one that I think had a lot of hype when he came back from his, his loan spell in Germany. And Saka maybe passed him. At one point, Willick had passed him. Although I think Willick is a player that we may have to touch on later as one who has maybe taken a step back uh, over the past few months, which which can happen in, in youth development. Um, you know, you'd have to say Martinelli coming in as a player that has certainly passed him, although not, not an academy kid. But this was a good game for Nelson, and he really effectively used his pace and his guile down the right wing. And and I think, once again, it was just some of the final ball, both from him and in, and certainly with Lacazette, that was wanting. But in terms of Nelson's contribution early in this game, was that some of the best football you've seen him play, you know, for the first team, uh, at least in recent memory? Yeah, I think so. Although I've I've not been quite at. It's a bit weird because I wasn't as high on him during the summer, um, <laughs> for for some reason. Like because I didn't really see a lot of him at Hoffenheim. But I thought, oh, this is all based on like a little seven to eight game spurt he had, and that's um, that's generally quite dangerous territory. But actually, I've, I've liked what I've seen from Nelson this year. I see. I think I think you're right. He's he's actually. He's actually probably the opposite to what a lot of people would have thought just seeing like tweets from the Hoffenheim account about a year ago. I, I don't think he's a, a, a like a high end product kind of player. But what I do like about him, what I have always liked about him, 
um, is I, I think he is like someone who's like tactically very adept, who's very good at following instruction. I was really impressed with him when he started at Newcastle on the first day of the season because he was doing that th- like one of the few things we could really dig out from the whole Emery ball and what the hell is it is that he likes you know he likes his um his wide players to become inside forwards effectively and what he kept doing in that game again and again was just stepping inside and allowing the fullback to overlap him um and he's been doing that to a degree in the last two games as well and just letting Urzil have uh you know the space outside of him and and I think what's really shown in these couple of games as well, you can tell when you've got quite a tactically intelligent player um, by what they like, how they gel or how they mesh with the people around them. And I saw really good link up with Maitland Niles, particularly because Maitland Niles was, you know, it, it wasn't a straightforward fullback right winger partnership. You've got Maitland Niles moving in field to create a three in midfield. You got Nelson moving in field sometimes to let Özil go outside of him. You know, it, it's not straightforward stuff, but he was doing it, and and it's it's the same thing that impressed me probably in that Newcastle game where I thought, yeah, you're you're one of the people who um, has got what the manager has asked for, and you're doing it, um, and you're doing it to quite a high level, um, and and that is honestly what I've seen from him. I think this season, I, I think people have been underwhelmed because he hasn't had a lot of goals and assists and and his end product definitely needs work. Um, We've definitely seen that in the last two games as well, but I've, I've kind of taken to, I I think um, he's, he can be basically. So like from, from where I was sitting at this game, I I got a much better look because of, uh, because of my seat in the upper tier at, at the lines in the team. And they were so much cleaner um, you know, you just had like four straight line across the back, uh, off the ball that is, on the ball, obviously Maitland-Niles moves in, then you had Genduzi and Torreira kind of parallel to one another, and then you had the front, the front four in a straight line as well. Mm. And actually, I think if we persist with this front four, Nelson's kind of lack of end product shouldn't be such a problem because he can be that structurally intelligent player because really you'd expect Ozil, Aubameyang and Lacazette. They're the ones you want putting up numbers. They're the ones you want hitting the back of the net, creating goals. And don't get me wrong, you want Nelson to do that as well. But it's not as big a problem, I think, if he's in a front four with those three. And what he was very good at doing was just holding that line off the ball so that um, when Chelsea or, or Bournemouth were trying to play out, there were just four players straight away um, kind of trying to pen them in. Um, and and he seems to have the intelligence off the ball to give that space to, to Maitland-Niles and to give that space to Ozil. So I, I've actually been uh, quite enthused by him tactically i know that's a really wanky thing to say and that's something usually people say about players that are a bit crap when they're just trying to defend them <laughs> but um actually i i think that i i think that arteta will be looking at him at the moment and thinking yeah this this is a guy i can i can work with and um this is a guy i can perhaps mold as well and 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 one of the guys who a bit like maitland niles as well has has responded to him really well so far and maybe, you know, Tim, using him for an hour of willingness to run and run and run and press and press and press yeah. because uh, Matt highlighted, Giant Gunner highlighted this on the Discord in his stats review of the Bournemouth game. Reese Nelson had the most pressure events of any player in the team. And in a game where we pressed a lot, he was the most pressy presser. 
Um, and once again, I thought really good off the ball, positionally disciplined, working hard for the team off the ball to press. And, you know, you might say there's a lot of things that I think Pepe can give us. But working like mad, running his socks off to press for an hour isn't it. So mm. I'm going to use an hour of Nelson's legs to run him into the ground yeah. pressing. And then I've got Pepe to come off and, you know, beat him, beat yeah. tired legs and, and get in the box and create scoring chances and things like that. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, and in many respects, that's usually easier to do with younger players because A, they have the energy and B, they they want to kill to get in that team. They don't have the ego. And, um, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, I, and I'm not so like Ozil's been working really hard. They all have. They've all been working hard. Lacazette's been mm-hmm. working really hard. Aubameyang too. But in some respects, it's easier to say to the kid that's trying to make a mark, you know, run your absolute balls off today, and you've got the least glamorous role in the front four. But if you want to play, that's what you're going to do. Yep. And um, yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So, so Clyde, before we sort of start to talk about how the game transitioned and things like that, we absolutely have to call out Ozil and Torreira again. And this is consecutive games now where I think during our period of dominance and where we looked really in control of the game, they were stars. Um, once again, I, I thought the two clear stars of that that early period. Um, you know, I, I, I would love it if you could touch on both. I think... They are both thriving in the structure that Arteta has created. Torreira with smaller space to work in, and certainly the back three that Chelsea picked helped him because, as as we'll talk about later on, the space he had to cover got bigger, the number of players he had to keep an eye on got bigger, and he was bypassed a little more easily. He had a small space to operate in and did it brilliantly in this game and carried the ball forward when he needed to to, to sort of start the attack. Ozil, once again, thanks to the work of the, the, the three ahead of him, picking spaces between the lines, bursting away, picking final balls, really looking like a vintage Mesut Ozil. Now, a vintage Mesut Ozil who looks now like he can maybe only go about an hour, but that's better than what we thought we had. So how impressed were you again, certainly early in the game, with their performances? And did you see them as the stars of that period as well? Uh, there's lots of stars, but I think it's all about the byproduct of the distances that we're playing. And then you sort of half said it there, small spaces and... Uh, it's, it's obvious to everybody, uh, particular keen listeners of the podcast, Arsenal are a small space team. Um, just by the way they're built athletically, the type of players that they have, the lack of sprinters that they have. And listen to Tim say you know, things like, you know, Tim and Paul talk about who suits Arteta's system, forget Arteta's system, who suits a modern pressing game, the best athletes the modern pressing game and some of the best athletes we have are the younger players at Arsenal you know, Saka, Maitland, Niles, Willock and um, and Nelson and funny enough they're all doing quite well in the new system per se but what, they're, what we're really doing is we're playing modern top class football and it requires a different type of player, a different type of athlete with different attributes and it's becoming quite clear that this is this way of playing suits some players better for longer periods. Obviously, Torreira being one of those real chunky sprinters that's really got a real sharp five to ten yards max. When you get 15, 20, he starts to tread water. And we saw that many times in the big space, Emery Arsenal, towards the end, where we had three different units, one dropping off, and um, we saw it late in the game, weren't touching it until later, earlier, but one dropping off, and when you drop off like that, guess what, it's a big space game when we look very vulnerable. In the small spaces, Torreira is a bank robber, he steals money out of your pockets without you even knowing, and 
Ozil has got the touch in a small space. You give him the ball with a small space and he tidies up. He fixes problems. He creates the next pass. And that's exactly what team don't want. So when you see him get the ball in a small space and he just flows around the corner and he keeps the ball and then you're straight onto that back three, then you think, okay, well, I better drop away again. Then he gets more space. You see what I mean? He gets another yard because he's now created extra yards by his soft, nice touch and in the early phase of the game. And now he's rocking and rolling and now he feels part of it because obviously Arteta is saying play to him, build up through him. And then we go we go the next phase post him. He moves it outside and we go again. So it does look really, really nice. I agree with everything everyone said about the the distances and the distances from front to back are allowing certain people to shine and Ozil and Torreira are one of them. And it's a, it was a simple coaching thing to be more engaging and more front-footed. But the difference is massive. Now we need to talk about how long we can sustain that. right? And um, I'm sure you're going to touch on it, so I don't want to, I want to take it from you, but how long we can sustain that level of cohesiveness as a unit moving together. When the, when the left winger moves in, the right back moves out, keeping our distances consistent. What that actually does it exposes the ones, the weakest in the chain mm. and the ones that drop away because you're now saying to everybody, you have to be at the same fitness levels because we're working as a unit. As soon as that chain breaks down, then the distances start to grow and then that's towards the last 15 minutes, that's when the game sort of changed. But let's focus on the period you, you highlighted earlier. And I do think small space team Arsenal, let's play with a small space while we have this player with us. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I... You know, I I think the other thing that has to be considered here, too, is, look, this is a team that has been really bad this season and really bad for most of last season. And, like, getting them to be good for 90 minutes against good opposition right away is not an expectation we can have. But seeing periods of play where they look like a competent team, and I realize we're lowering the bar dramatically, and you might even say, would you have lowered the bar this way for Emery? And that, that's maybe a conversation for another time. But I do think that the plan that, that we started the match with was one that was working, that looked like good football, that emphasized you know the strengths of the team. And, and I, I think we just have to you know call out one player in particular who, who I think deserves attention before we move on to how the changes impacted the game. And Paul, I, I think... You know, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has started to divide opinion because of, you know, what his brother posted on Instagram and some of the social media behavior, and he's not everyone's cup of tea because when he's not scoring, he's not always super involved. And yet, he looks as committed to this project as anybody. He ran his ass off this whole game. He worked as hard defensively in his own third as I've ever seen him work in the attacking third. He scores the goal in typical Aubameyang fashion, just, you know, right place, right time. You could even say that's a training ground move. It looked it looked like they were sort of celebrating it like they had planned it. Um, not being selfish, you know, the layoff he gives to Lacazette, where Lacazette doesn't control it well and, and fluffs his shot. I mean, that should be 2-0 and, and totally changes the game. I mean, more obvious thing has never been said, but you get my point. I, I realize I have been in Aubameyang's stand, and sometimes when you're on record as really loving a certain player, your analysis of that player can get thrown out as just being influenced by bias. So I will ask you, were you as impressed with both his quality and his commitment uh, on this day? And and for you, was this the performance of a true captain? Yeah. Um, so I I thought his what he put out on that field was astounding. 
Um, he walks off at half time with Sacco's got his arm around him because they're they're that left side pairing, and the two of them are talking about how the game's going, how they're working together, and you see it. You know, Saka picks up that knock later on. I think it's like a dead leg or something where he's basically limping for the last 20 minutes. Um, and Aubameyang just picks up the slack uh, all through that period. But throughout the game, he's chasing back right to the the, uh, the our penalty box, right to the byline, making runs deeper than anybody else. It's uh, a standing level of commitment given what our fears were for uh, a senior player. I mean, look at all of the senior players that Freddie was struggling so much with. And uh, this isn't a knock on Freddie. We all know he was in an impossible situation uh, given no backing, no staff. But who were those senior players who weren't putting it out for uh, Freddie? Uh, Ozil, Lacazette uh, on the bench. Um, Aubameyang played throughout for Freddie and I think was putting in a shift, but not like this. I mean, they have, whatever happens in the future, in this particular game, they put it all out there uh, for each other. Um, And I think that level of commitment was uh, just, it jumped off the page. He never slacked. Right through the second half when we we began to tire, uh, Aubameyang did his stuff the whole way through. I think he, he was, this is one game um, he can hold his head up high on as a captain. I think it's really interesting as well. We'll we'll talk about defenders and Luis and stuff, who I think, again, had mostly had a very good game, and it, it didn't really suit him, as, as Clive's often pointed out. He's not a player who likes a high line, but I think he generally did really well with it in this setup. But when you look at the captain's talk, if you want to call it that, at the start, where they huddle in a circle... Um, you know, it's Luis who does that talk. And against Chelsea, of course, there's a whole other backstory here. But it's clear that they've worked out what leadership means within this team with those guys. And they're really pitching in. And you hear the comments from uh, those guys and a couple of the younger guys about Arteta. Uh, obviously, they're going to say nice stuff. But when you read between the lines, it really looks like they get why they're doing it. And they, they just want to enjoy their football. They know the season's gone. Uh, in large part, um, were kind of shot in that sense. But they want to play, uh, you know, the alternative is a, a an ugly, dirty season of bad football, getting rollocked uh, after every performance, which unfortunately maybe they still get a bit of this, that after this perform after this result. But the performance is just phenomenal from Aubameyang. And he's playing, playing from the left and yet still making and getting his chances um, and, uh, you know, if Lacazette could kick in with some sharpness, we'd really see the fruits of that relationship. Uh, I, again, I think there's a lot to be said that was good about what Lacazette did, but he, he's, he's finishing like a guy who didn't have much of a, pre, a post-preseason uh, fitness and availability. So uh, in, in the end, Aubameyang doesn't get the credit for what he did in this game because we didn't get the result. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we love to quote things like XG and shot stats and stuff like that, but like if Lacazette was getting his shot off more, we'd have more shots and more XG. I mean, a lot of moves died at the feet of Lacazette, just not sorting his feet out in time. I don't think we need to go into Lacazette, and the only reason I don't think so is we've really covered it. He's busy, he's involved, the quality isn't there right now. You could say it's confidence. You could say it's just who he is. I think he has always had the limitation since he's come to Arsenal that it takes him that half second longer to get a shot off than you'd like. 
Um, and and the difference is, in the past, he was scoring from positions where few people score because he's such a great finisher. Now he's just not getting the shots off, so he's not finishing the layoff. Where Obama, he's lacking, he's lacking, he's lacking power, Elliot. Yeah, his lower his lower body power is gone. He's obviously not. He must be carrying injuries. He's not training as much. He doesn't look as powerful as he used to look. He's not holding people off. Tim, Tim touched on that, by the way, wasn't it? Just the last pod, Tim, where you were saying basically that when a player misses a preseason due to injury, you, you've never seen them sort of recover their their season fully. Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. Um, uh, and and the worrying thing is, if I can jump on that, it, it, it kind of chills me to my bone when uh, when Tim said that because, um, you know, you, you'd be inclined to say, well, he's only had two games in a row and, like, he, he'll improve his level and he'll get his sharpness and confidence, um, which is the way you'd like to lean on it. But it may not be. This might be his ceiling for most of the season, which is... The scary thing, but if he can get sharper, I, he'll score know. the odd screamer because he just has it in his locker. But if he's not going to get his shot off, and he's if he's going to need that extra beat, sorry, Clive, I cut across you. So, so why don't you finish your thought on, <laughs> on his lack of power? I I was just referencing that it, it ties into to something Tim had been saying last pod, which I think was was a really astute observation in that maybe he just has never quite gotten his fitness level this this season to where it needed to be. Right, I think it's maybe more of a signpost that he's carrying an injury and he's not able to train at the levels he needs to train at to get to levels that we've seen him previously. This looks very reminiscent of his first season when he had, when he had that. I think it was a knee injury around Christmas time of his first season. He delayed his operation, had his operation, came back and he started to fly. And just before he did take the operation, I, I had similar feelings about him then. I worried about him. Spurs fan called him Alex Lacker Threat. That's, that's their nickname for him. And I'm thinking, oh, that's not good. But he came back and he started firing. He looks underpowered. You can tell when he's running for the, for the ball, his legs collapse. Everything in his body is not coordinated. He's not carrying his natural power that he has. And a big part of his game is his power shooting off both feet. If we're not getting that, then you ask yourself, is he posting up like Giroud? Is he connecting the play? On occasion, yes, but we're lacking the power in those boots and we need to get that back as quickly as possible because he's um, he's looking the weakest of our front set at the moment. Well, and, and it's difficult, right? Because, I mean, there are reasons that you pick him um, because, you know, it's easy to just say, well, then you, you got to drop him and, and put Aubameyang up front. Well, then who's on the wing? Will that player work for the team the way that Aubameyang has been. I mean, you can't move Saka there because you need him at fullback. So now you're talking about Pepe, but Pepe's not a left-sided forward. So do you put him on the right and Nelson on the left? Probably not. Martinelli's injured. He doesn't have a lot of choices. You know, I, I, there was a lot of focus, and we'll come on to the, the substitutions, about Arteta getting out outcoached in the, the substitution patterns. I mean, second game in a row where he's lost a central defender due to injury early, lost that sub, plus he's got injuries and, and fitness issues and, and limitations in the squad. Like, I don't know what you expect him to do with two subs and no players, but we'll, we'll come on to that. Tim, you know, if if the stars were maybe Ozil and Torreira in that early part of the game, unfortunately, I think at the point when we were playing well, the player who was not playing well was Genduzi. I have worshipped mm. at the church of Genduzi since he's arrived, as everybody <clears throat> knows. I, I still believe in his ceiling and who he is as a player. And, and development is not linear. But this is certainly a worrying stage in his development, especially when we get a coach who finally seems to have us playing a, a, a sort of comprehensible style of football that you would think would suit him in a position that's natural to him. He, he was outperformed by his youthful peers in positions that aren't necessarily best suited to them. I thought this was 
a game that unfortunately kind of vindicates the criticism that people who don't believe in him have had. And it's a worry because if Shaka is definitely going, one of the reasons you let him go, I mean, obviously you have to buy a midfielder, you think, but is because you trust Ganduzi to play 20, you know, 2,000, 2,500 minutes in the Premier League at a high level. And, and this is the first time I just looked at it and said, I maybe have concerns about this player. Um, and that's coming from, you know, a true Ganduzi believer. So, were you as concerned by this performance from him, and and where do you sort of stand on on how his development is going right now? Yeah, so um, I th- I thought it was a bad performance. I think everyone can see that. I'm, I'm not massively concerned, to be honest, just because um, he's 20. This happens, like, um, and you know, we've probably seen why he's been sat down for the last few weeks, and and in fact, probably even prior to that, when uh, when Jungberg came in and Jungberg made the call really not to play him, I, I think we could kind of see why um and and that's kind of fine like that happens to most 20 year other than the absolute freaks <laughs> that happens to most 20 year old players and it, it's fine if if he's still in this kind of rut in like six months or a year's time then yeah it's, it's really time to worry and it's time to think wow have we overhyped this player like your, your impression of his ceiling for my money is is still absolutely bang on that's not to say he's going to find that ceiling um, lots and lots of young players with huge potential don't. And we've had a lot of them at the club over the last decade or so. Um, players that people regard as a joke now who are not, in terms of their talent, are not jokes. Um, you know, I know how Danielson was c- considered before he came to Arsenal. Um, and, you know, things just didn't work out for him for a number of reasons. That 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 just happens. Um, so at the moment, I'm, I'm not hugely concerned. And... Um, I mean, I, I wrote something about this today, actually, in, in reference to Lacazette as much as anything. Like, sometimes players just do lose form. Um, in fact, most players lose, like, other than the absolute elite, players lose form. Even the best players lose form. Um, and that, again, can be for, like, a multitude of reasons. Uh, physical, mental, on the pitch, off well, the pitch. We just tactical. talked about Lacazette, right? <laughs> he's, yeah, he's dr- exactly. struggling for you, yeah, exactly. But but one of the things we start to do as fans is we start to relitigate um, mm. what we think their talent is, and we start to go, oh, maybe he's absolute shit, <laughs> and and may, maybe all those times I said he was the dog's bollocks were complete rubbish, and 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 actually, um, I know this is a really boring answer, but it's usually somewhere between the two. Um, you know, like like I say, I think uh, yours, and, and I don't just say yours, it's my impression of his ceiling as well, is I, I think this kid can go right to the top. I really, really do think he can. And I think the psychological signs are really, really great. He needs to learn to do a little bit less, um, but that's fine. I, I think that's a much better sign to have um, as a young player than, than the opposite. Um, for example, it it, it used to happen to Van Persie. Van Persie was like, I remember when we had him when he was 21, 22, he was, he was trying to, he was trying to do everything all the time. And, you know, that just comes with a little bit of time and a little bit of coaching. And I think now we do actually have a good coach that like, I get the impression that Emery loved him so much. It was just like, yes, keep going out and trying to do, ev- try to do everything all at once. Well, because someone Whereas had to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whereas I I do have like some level of trust that Arteta will perhaps coach a little bit of moderation into him, which which is fine. It's all part of the learning process. I, you know, I'm not really concerned at all. But at the same time, like I recognize that a lot of the time talent 
and potential isn't realized and i you know i still don't know if he will realize all of his but i am not um at all ready to reassess what i think his talent level is and how far i think he can go i i I think this was completely to be expected to be honest he's like he's come from league de as a 19 year old and you know really probably none of us when we signed him expected to even see him like on the bench until about now like most of us when we signed him probably thought yeah he'll play a bit of Europa League a bit of Carabao Cup maybe in his second season he'll start sneaking onto the bench you know as the sixth or seventh sub um and you know that that obviously the fact that he didn't do that like um creates a different level of expectation but um yeah I, I still think he's an absolutely super talent he's not playing well at the moment that's fine um that that wouldn't concern me for a good few months yet yeah and i'm going to tell you something i think the problem is that he is compared with granite shaka and so you have these battle lines drawn and i i think he's a very very different player from shaka and i actually think shaka is a a more traditional deep lying playmaker who who likes the game out in front of him and is better when he's a little deeper and can survey the pitch and see what's ahead of him and i think Genduzi, and I've had this suspicion for a while, is a little bit better when he's a little higher up the pitch. His interceptions are better. His breaking up a play is better. He has a better eye for when to jump a pass. I think he can play the final ball. He has that kind of floated over the top ball. He he can play the through ball. He can play a little short pass, and and he can duck around a defender. Uh, I I see him as a left eight. I don't know if you agree, Clive, Um, but that to me is (laughs) is what I see. Um, But yeah, yeah, I mean, whereas Shaka you want him, you know, sort of in your half making that intermediate value pass. I think you want Ganduzi five yards for, you know, into the opposition half. Do you, do you sort of agree that, that, and again, I don't want to make this again, doozy versus Shaka pot or just a Ganduzi pot. Cause there's a lot more to get to. Uh, let me give you one minute quickly on Ganduzi Cause then I, I want to shift gears into another period of the match. Yeah. Tim called it actually about only when he said about reducing his role slightly. I think I called so it when I, I said he's a left sided eight personally. But then. Yeah. He's a left eight. That's what he is. Eventually. Don't just do repeat what four. I'm saying, Clive. Come on. <laughs> when we do go to four, three, three, he will be the left eight. And, and that, and that suits him. He drifts that way and he lets come on his right foot and sweep play passes that way. Seeing the pitch from the side. That's what he is. A lot of what he did basically was, Reminded me a little bit of a young Aaron Ramsey when I used to criticise him a lot more. I felt he used to try to do too much and was never where I wanted him to be. Right? So, and I, I wanted a coach to reduce his space that he worked in. That's exactly the same feelings I have with Granduzzi right now. But I think uh, Emery wanted him to do everything, like you alluded to. And so now he's, he felt very empowered going wherever he liked. But the price was a team with nothing in the middle of the pitch. And, and that doesn't work. It's quite interesting. I, I think he was overplayed, didn't play, come out, come back in. We're, we're waiting for the superstar to reappear. And he still looks a bit leggy to me. Leeds looks very leggy. So I think we just we have to just fight through this, or I'd like to see him out a little bit longer. But we're not exactly star-studded on the bench, are we? So I think we're going to have to yeah. play him through this. Yeah, and, and so let's shift gears to to after the change they made and i i have a a take that you will not believe about this game which is that it wasn't as bad as people think and i will come to that um but they do make a change that changed the the flow of the game if not the dominance of the game um you know i i think that there is this perception that once they made the change we just got dominated they took over control of the game on the ball 
but created very little. I think it is worth noting that for, until the hour mark, we were still out shooting them. Now, we were out shooting them five to four, but out shooting them. Until Leno's Howler, we were ahead of them on XG. They had created next to nothing. I mean, half a goal, not even half a goal of XG until Leno's Howler. And I'm not beating up on Leno. It is a Howler. It's his first of the season. I think he's been phenomenal for us, a real revelation. And goalkeepers make mistakes, and he picked the absolute worst time to do it. And if he doesn't do it, I think we win the game. But so the perception that we were being dominated, while fair in terms of our time on the ball, I think is a little unfair in that when you have a lead and the other team is struggling to create anything against you, I think you're doing okay, especially when you're a team flagging in confidence, flagging in fitness and physicality, and you're trying to get through to a win against a rival that can revitalize your season off of basically having no confidence in yourself. So I I think we have overplayed the extent to which the, the game was taken away from us by that change. Maybe the ball was taken away from us, but, you know, you still have to create something, and Chelsea did not. So, Clive, in terms of the patterns of play, though, what did the change to the back four, the the introduction Jorginho do in terms of patterns of play, and why do you think we struggled to respond to it? So immediately, what, what they Chelsea did with um, with Zuma, Rudiger, and uh, Tamori at the back, they're three monster monster defenders, like killers off the ball, right? So Spurs gave them the ball early, they'd win it one on one, didn't mind going one on one, and then give it to their ball progressors in Willian and I think Mount on the day. Fantastic game plan for Spurs against Arsenal. We didn't give them the ball; we brought it to them, went behind their midfield and really stressed them. And then we, when they had the ball, we then said to them, what can you do to progress the ball? And then we put them under pressure. And they're not good on the ball. And guess what? We got it back. This is smart for Lampard, right? So what he did then, he said, okay, I've got no ball progression. Take off Emerson, who got rinsed for the goal, and then basically puts on Jorginho. Now we've got ball progression. So we start. they start to pass a bit more. Eventually, that wears on us mentally. We go, we drop off slightly. He's looking at Tomori, right back, going to be a fantastic player, that boy. Right back, he's not going to progress in the ball. They need somebody to bring on to progress the ball in the wide areas, just to make sure Ababiang is stressed a bit more and has to think about his defensive duties late into the game. By doing that, we they take him away from our where we want him to the box. They bring on the young kid, I can't remember his name, but he was decent, pretty sharp, right? So Lamptey, yeah. Mm-hmm. Lamptey, okay. And I've I I do I have heard about him, but I've never seen him about you know, to come on as a Chelsea youth player without you know, with to be that slightly unknown compared to the ones we all know about and do that, well a fair play to you, right? So and so he strode into the wide white spaces and kept uh, about being honest and suddenly now Chelsea have ability to go up the pitch and that's what's changed now that that stresses us so we that stresses our unit that stresses our compactness but what it really stresses lads is our mental fragility we haven't won many football matches and we started to play the finishing line and we started to hold the game and the natural tendency was, okay, they're progressing. I'm feeling it. We're, we're okay. We think we can handle them. We think we can handle them. Let's drop in and do it by spaces around the box and drop away. And it, and so you can say it's a form of control without controlling the game. But I, I'm sort of with you. I didn't, although I was incredibly stressed. And I, I went, 
And when Leno came for that, I I sort of understood it because our defence needed him to come for that ball. We were stressed. Our forwards coming back, making tackles and fouls. We felt the stress of them coming on to us. And we, you know, when the goalkeeper takes a cross, you think that's just what his defenders needed. I felt Leno was trying to help people out. I think he's been much more front-footed since Arteta has arrived. And he just got it wrong. And I think that was all a byproduct of better ball progression, more passes. Chelsea's passing numbers were much better than ours by the end of the game. They had 120, 130 more passes than we did. And that has a wearing effect on us. What what I would have done, potentially, I would have just took Ozil away from the front line a little bit more and dropped him right in and, and just create a, a three in there, a tighter three, rather than play with a ten. I'd have gone to a three and I'd have gone that way. And I said, right, I've got to make sure I cut off passing lanes to stop the progression, to stop the entry passes into forwards. That's what I would have done May in the game. But again, if the bench options were there, it becomes a more obvious substitution. He's looking at Willock, he's looking at Smith Rowe, who had a bad ounce last time. So he does like for like with Willock and Ozil. And I think maybe he's bringing Willock on, yes, but playing him as an eight, not as a ten. But Willock sticks in the bottom corner, we all... We all think what a genius move that was. So, fine margins, but I felt ball progression for Chelsea improved. Could we have reacted only maybe with a slight tweak of Willock's role late in the game when Ozil ran out of legs? But apart from that, I don't think we could do much more than what we actually did. Yeah, look, I don't think anyone's going to accuse me of being a Pollyanna. That's not my brand. But, like, through an hour of this game, they had four shots. Their XG, their expected goals were 0.14. Okay, they had done nothing. Even by 75 minutes, they were on six shots, seven shots, and their XG was 0.33. They then had two good chances. They had the Tammy Abraham header that he missed, and then the goal is a tap-in, and they basically equaled the entire XG they had to that point in the game with the tap-in goal from Jorginho, okay? But like prior to that, they're doing nothing. Really next to nothing. And Elliot, can I add one thing? Please. Think of all the yellow cards and fouls they they had to commit to stop us on the counter that the ref let them get away with. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this, yeah. So so that doesn't show up in the stats, right? For Lacazette was stopped two, three times uh, in really promising countering territory, and yet that doesn't show up as anything but a free kick to us, so... Um, I mean, that's the way the, the game's played these days, but the referee had a huge role in that period where we were out of possession, keeping our shape, recovering the ball, and then the promising chances we did have, they snuffed out versus what we did when they had a counter and got and got the second goal. Yeah, I mean, here here's why I think it is such a tough situation for Arteta. Think of all the things at play. You've had one enforced substitution, okay? So already you've only got two subs that you can use. You don't have a lot on the bench to call from, oh, by the way, right? I mean, you're not sitting on a loaded bench of experienced players to come in and kill off a game. You have basically no one in midfield, like no one. Joe Willick, and and a Joe Willick who I think has been bad and, and maybe needs a spell out of the team, but if he's out of the team, who the hell do you even use? He's got no one to call on, all right? Now, think about it from Arteta's standpoint. You have a lead, you don't have a lot of the ball, but they're creating nothing. They're not hurting you. And wise after the fact, a lot of people are saying, oh, I should have brought... And I said this, wise after the fact, oh, we should have brought on Pepe probably for Lacazette or something. But, like, do you trust Pepe to do the defensive work? They're not hurting you. 
They had four shots through an hour, six shots through 70 minutes. They've created nothing. You don't look like you're in trouble. I mean, I had the fuck yes tweet in drafts ready to go right before um, Leno's howler because I was like, we're just seeing this out. It was a reasonably professional defensive effort. Mustafi, to his credit, heading a lot of balls away, doing a really nice job in the air. Louise, I thought, showing that maybe after all this won't wind up being a calamitous transfer because I think he's been good in these last two games and was really good again in this game. Really, really good, to be fair. Um, and so it's tough for Arteta. You got another game on on New Year's Day against United. You've got a tired squad. You have not much on the bench. You only have two subs available, and they're not hurting you. So what are you really supposed to do? Do you do you change it all and invite potential risk or pressure by bringing on a player like Pepe and maybe losing some of your defensive shape? You see the energy is flagging in your squad. You might need to take a couple more guys off, but you've only got two subs. I'm reiterating a lot of things now. but So I, I just Sack, thought... Saka's already Sa limping. Saka's limping. Um, Ozil is... You know, you know you're only going to play him for an hour. So, Paul, he had very few choices. And the game turns really on on the, the substitution that we talked about from Chelsea, but it also turns on two crucial refereeing decisions. Obviously, there is the decision not to send off Jorginho, who, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know how he stays on the pitch. Prior to that, there is the Genduzi tug at the edge of the box that could have potentially been a penalty and potentially a second yellow card. Um, I am minded to say that if we are going to be outraged that Jorginho stayed on the pitch, which is fair, we may have to ask ourselves why Genduzzi was able to stay on the pitch and why they didn't potentially get a penalty. So I'm, well, I think the refereeing was poor and they got away with a lot of tactical fouling that impacted the game. On the balance of the two big calls, I'm more inclined to see it as balanced. Uh, I'm guessing you maybe don't agree with me. Do you want to give your quick take on those two incidents and, and whether we got the worst of it there? Yeah, uh, I don't think it was balanced. I mean, it's a question of degree. And the Ganduzi thing was so light. In, and it was on a guy who wasn't on the ball. Um, it was on Jorginho, in fact, I think again, who had already released the ball. Uh, so the referee's kind of letting play it's on go. Abra it was on Abraham, Paul. On Abraham. Abraham, okay. Um, and uh, conversely, there, there's no ambiguity that uh, the Genduzzi, uh, uh, the yellow that should have been for Jorginho against Genduzzi was a clear and outright yellow. I mean, he gave um, a yellow for that. To who, who got a yellow for that exactly? Terrera. Terrera got a yellow for the same thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's more, Jorginho had just smacked uh, Lacazette in the he in the face with his elbow, and you can say, "Oh, well, maybe it wasn't an elbow; maybe it was just an outstretched arm." But those are pretty close to back to back. At at that stage, you've used up any legitimate credit um, at that point, and it was a, a pattern of stopping us on the counter. Um, and yes, it's a question of degree, but I mean, all the commentary that you hear from people who are not necessarily fans of of Arsenal going down easily on free kicks were absolutely puzzled and 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 stuck with that line of why is Jorginho even on the pitch or should Jorginho have been there I mean these aren't the friends way, of I'll, Arsenal I'll stop you for a second and mention too there was a situation I, I don't remember exactly who fouls him but Lacazette gets fouled and dragged down and stays on his feet it was right on the edge of the box it would certainly have been a yellow card but decides to stay on his feet and works hard and winds up losing the ball on his own would have been a free kick on the edge of the box and a yellow card there as well that 
it might have been Rudiger who could have potentially been sent off later. So, I, I mean, there were incidents yeah. like that, Paul, definitely. The, the fouls were egregious. Um, like, the, they're the ones where the referee can't ignore them. And the fact that he yellow cards Lacazette for the Jorginho foul, I mean, it's just the optics are bad. Um, and, you know, it, to me, this game started to get away from them. And it, it was clearly a systemized level of fouling from them. Um, that the, 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 they were playing games with the referee and they were using it. I mean, fair play to them, I guess. That's how the game goes these days. But in the balance of, of fairness and where the game's at, it gives an un, un, uh, unfair read on how well we're doing in a game when every time what we'd done in terms of maintaining shape or defensively being poised to pounce were pulled down um because you then say well you know what did we produce well you know the referee's snuffing it out on you so yeah i thought uh, i think the other thing is you see uh like i was listening to neville's commentary on the the their first goal when leno comes out and the groan he lets out uh from it is not about the goalkeeping mistake it's the travesty of the reversal of fortunes because as you'd said we were well uh, we, our game plan was playing out uh, you, you, just before that you see having just watched it all you see uh, and knowing what's coming you see Fr- Frank Lampard wa- walking up and down the sideline frustrated to fuck um, trying to work out how he, he you know he's played his cards and it's just not happening and you can just see the way it is and now you know in hindsight it all seems like it was always going to turn out this way it absolutely wasn't um, and yeah, we lost our legs after that. But then, as you alluded to, this is a team that's we're kind of like a, a beaten dog. Sorry for that expression. But we're just kind of used to what happens after that. But up to that point, um, I don't know. I, I, I think we held our own. And one word on Ganduzi, I, I would say we're, he's very much not in his top form. But go and look at his stats from, say, 30 minutes to 81 minutes. He uh, His work rate... He, he may not have been. He was better in the, the period where we were worse. <laughs> yeah, you look at all of the the stats you can for tackles, blocks, clearances. Nobody works harder. Nobody does more than him. And there's a reason why he's involved in all those situations we're talking about here. So yeah, I, I don't think he's in great form. Mm. Um, but but I think he was actually pretty significant. And, and he, the interesting balance was he let Torreira shine, whose whose passing was excellent under all that pressure it was around 90 percent um and he's playing through all that period keeping it really clean i i do think he even he got a bit tired though and he started rolling when challenged and you know when you're a little tired you're going down a little too easy and we we even saw that on their their uh the Jorginho goal so yeah they were all starting to fade and i mean look the narrative of a game is often developed by the last thing you see. And the last thing you see in this game is Arsenal getting absolutely hammered because after the Leno error, we really lost the game. I mean, we lost control, we lost composure, we lost structure. We chased a win that wasn't there with tired legs and and psychologically defeated players and, and it didn't work and we lost. And I think 
if you just want to draw the narrative of the game from the last, you know, seven, eight, ten minutes of the game after the Leno Howler, then yeah, we were we were soundly beaten. But that's not the game that was happening up until their equalizer. It was a game that we had at least a modicum of defensive control over. And, you know, if you want to say, oh, well, how is this different from an Emory game where we're just sitting on a lead and getting battered? By-? Well, we weren't getting battered. Watford had 31 shots against us when we were sitting on a lead. Up until the hour mark, Chelsea had four. Up until their equalizer, we were out XGing them, you know, for whatever you want to value, you want to place on that. Yes, they had more of the ball. They did not have the clear chances to win the game. And we were not under the cosh in the way that we were, you know, in games like that Watford game under Emery where we just battened down the hatches and got beat up. We were controlling the game with the defensive shape, which was nice to see. And so, Tim, I'll ask you. You know, people want to say Arteta got out coached, Arteta got out tactic. What the hell is the guy supposed to do? I mean, I'm not just going to sit here and say he got everything right. Maybe there were moves he could have made earlier. But with one enforced substitution that he had to make early, a bench that's fairly inexperienced, no real experienced midfielders to call on, a couple of different players clearly showing some fitness issues. I mean, Mm. even with the benefit of hindsight, you're Arteta. What moves would have fixed what inevitably happened, especially under the the circumstance that we've called out repeatedly now, which is that while we were not in control of the ball, we were certainly not out of control of the game. And while you're winning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, what what it would have been really, it would have been really nice to bring Genduzi on as a sub in this game, um, in my opinion, or or maybe even someone like Granit Xhaka, because what, what we really needed probably was even a, a player like Arteta himself. Get, a, um, get our foot on the ball? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. That was exactly what we needed at that point. What well, one thing I will say, I will kind of push back on though. I think he should have taken Lacazette off, and that's not just a hindsight thing. That's something I said at go. the time. Right, he um, instead of yeah, Nelson. Um, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought Lacazette. Um, in, it was in front of the bench, actually, made it really clear he had nothing left. And he actually looked at the bench as well. He went to close something down. And, you know, it wasn't like a muscle pull or cramp or anything like that. But he looked at the bench and it was, I'm I'm done. I'm finished. Like, I've got nothing left. And straight away, like, I mean, the guys I sit with we were like, he's got to come off. Like, he's got to come off and he's got to come off now. And it created a problem for us for a few minutes because we just couldn't get out. And we couldn't get out via midfield anyway because Chelsea had created numerical superiority in there. But we didn't even, we lost the ability to go long, the option to go long because Lacazette couldn't run anymore. And actually straight away, it's Lacazette that gives away the free kick that leads to the equaliser. And it's because he's tired. He's so tired. He shuffles back. And, you know, he commits a lazy, very, very tired foul. And and I think the warning sign was there that that was going to happen. Well, maybe maybe not so much that, but we completely lost our exit. And, and, you know, straight away, like me and my mates, like, right, this has got to be, you know, probably Pepe, stick a Bamiang up front. We're playing on the break now. Uh, let's kind of lean into that and... So, uh, so you know, can I ask I know, you a question, though? Because I've, I've just sure. put you in the manager's chair, and you're making this decision now. And I agree with you. Lacazette looked done. I was saying on Twitter, I, I wanted to see Pepe come in and and either play center forward or you know give Aubameyang the chance to run in be- behind because Chelsea were pushing up to try to get back in the game. But here's the question, right? Nelson, I don't know. You know, in the Bournemouth game, Nelson was out on his feet after 70 minutes. Yeah, yeah. You've got two subs left. Okay, so if you decide to use 
Pepe for Lacazette. And then what do you do? You're either leaving Ozil on the whole game or you're leaving Nelson on the whole game. And I, I just wonder, Tim, and, and I'll, I'll turn this back to you, but like, if you leave a tired center forward on, at least defensively you figure you can ride that out. But if you leave a completely exhausted winger on, the the degree to which that exposes you defensively and prevents you from being able to press and harry and get in a position is more of a worry. So do you think the issue there is he's like, I've got to get Ozil and Nelson off because I can keep my defensive structure if I do that. Whereas if I take Lacazette off and it's more like for like, I don't add the the running power in the areas where I need it. No, I don't agree with that. Okay. Because I th- I think um, the, the difference is <laughs> <laughs> the difference is with keeping Nelson on is at that point, you know, look, there, you're right. There are there are a lot of players that were knackered. Saka was out on his feet, yep. and we saw that for the second, second goal. Ozil, yeah. um, what you know wasn't 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 quite at the intensity um, anymore. Like there were there were some tired players out there. I think the thing is between Lacazette and Nelson is at the very least Nelson can just sit on top of his fullback and you know you can ask him to just kind of try and drive the ball forward and get you up the line and win throw-ins and things like that which Nelson I think was still doing at that point don't get me wrong he was he was pretty much done as well but I think at the very least you know you sit him you know 10 yards in front of Maitland Niles and you create a bit of a barrier there whereas with Lacazette I think it's a bigger problem with your centre forward because then you just you lose your exit and it guarantees it absolutely guarantees that the ball's coming back at you as soon as you clear it. And I think that was a bigger problem in the central space. Um, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that Aubameyang would have completely solved that because we know he doesn't hold the ball up, but at least you get to hit the channels um, at the very least. And we just couldn't do that with Lacazette. For me, it was, it was a, it was almost like, you know, when a player's injured and you run out of subs and they just start hobbling around to try and create, um, you know, try and create an obstacle that that's kind of the the state that Lacazette was in. And yeah. I think it's better if you're on the touchline and you're in a slightly smaller space rather than like carrying the whole of the center of the pitch and running like the width of the center circle. And, and I, I think there's actually a lot more running for a striker to do, um, certainly over kind of um, and turning direction and taking hits from center backs. Whereas I think if you've got a tired winger, at least they can just kind of do the odd burst up the line, try and whack the ball against someone and get a throw in. Like it's still not ideal, but I think it's better than your centre forward being completely absent. Yeah, and I do think at a time when they were really pushing us back and controlling the ball, having Aubameyang playing mostly in his defensive third while he was doing it, you know, with with intensity and, and desire you'd love to have his running in behind a pushed up at the time when they were pushing up to try to get back in the game. We had no one who could really run him behind. Nelson was pretty much done. Lacazette can't do it at the best of times, but certainly couldn't do it in the second half. And Aubameyang was in his defensive third. So, you know, you you give them permission to just start pushing up that extra five yards, that extra 10 yards, and pinning you back and pinning you back. So I, I do agree with you. I think that we lost our exit, and we lost our ability to make them think twice about how hard, how hard they were going to push to get a goal. Um you know, it, it is unfortunate too, right? Because every choice that, that Arteta had to make comes with, with trade-offs, right? I mean, if, if you take Ozil off for Willick, you get running power, but you lose the ability to maybe create that one moment of brilliance or possess the ball. When You know, when you bring Pepe on, maybe you lose a little of the defensive intensity. So there, there's a lot of choices and none of them are perfect. Clive, how do you think 
Arteta did managing the the sort of end game there, using those last two little subs he had. And do you have the kind of sympathy for him that I'm expressing, or, or do you think he just maybe got it wrong? I have some sympathy. I think um, I I would have liked to see Pepe come on in a central position. I think Barrier would have kept him out left because that was a danger point for them. I just don't trust Pepe in wide areas at the moment. But if you play him centrally, what he does is he attracts people. And I think he makes people respect him. So it's almost like it's a different game with him. He can say to him, I want you to just work between the centre-backs and when you get the ball, make them nervous, to cut the turns, shake and bake and see what we can do. I, I totally agree with you about Lacazette. I, I saw the exact moment he was bent over, hands on knees, and I thought, he's got to go. That's exactly what I thought. And... And then he gives the file away, and he, he Jorginho got under his skin. He got him booked, and it was all about stress, right? So, I don't think Arteta could do much more. But what I will say is that you know you're being well. Obviously, we we all feel this guy is 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 the guy Arteta. We all feel he has got he's made of the right stuff. We're we're looking at the football, and we're seeing something which is the beginning of something new. Something that was even different to what Arsenal Benga used to do, and I, we're all buzzing about that because it's it's the modern game, right? So, but what this really highlights for me is what I, you know, what I've been saying for quite a while. I don't think our players are that great, you know. I don't think they were great for Emery. I don't think they're great for Freddie. I just don't think they're that great, which highlights to me the type of players we recruit. We are not recruiting the right type of athlete, stroke footballers to play the game that is prevalent at the top end of the Premier League. We have not won. We've only won five Premier League games. It's just it's just incredible where we are. And we debate these names. We talk about how Ursula couldn't last. He couldn't last. He's taking home 18 million quid a year. He should last. When you're not playing like I said, when you're sitting on the bench and you're moaning and groaning, I hope you're doing extra running because it doesn't look like it to me. It didn't look like it because when we needed you, you weren't there. You weren't fit enough. These details really, really count. It's the younger players that are going beyond their, beyond their abilities, beyond their experience. They shouldn't be doing what they're doing. They haven't had the loan. So they're in there and they're doing it. They're really producing it. And I feel very strongly that we need to wake up as a club and start recruiting the right type of players so we can play this game and stop deluding ourselves that we have the right type of player because in the end, we're now debating kilometres. We're debating fitness. We're debating fitness in December. That means we haven't been putting it in. We haven't been working hard enough. We've been insular. We've been unprofessional. We haven't done our extras. We're not doing things like Mason Mount has done and he hired his own chef and hired his own personal trainer and he's out there doing it. That's what Smith Rowe needs to do. Because he's just as talented. He needs to work harder to get to the levels that those young Chelsea players are at. Because they ran us off our feet. That's the truth. They're fitting us, stronger in us. And we need to do more. We need to we need to be demanded more of. And this is why I'm so excited about this manager. And I hope the club can see this and realise that the players that we have are not the right players. And this coach is brilliant. But he's only as good as the tools that are in front of him. And I'm not saying that he's a bad workman because he's not. You know, he's got experience around substitutions. I'm sure you'll get some wrong because we all do. But I'm telling you, he needs better, fitter, faster, more athletic players that are secure on the ball and that don't do silly things because they're, because they're physically underpowered. 
and dropping away from the game because they can't manage. They can't manage the late the last 25 minutes of a game. This is consistent now for a couple of years. We throw away halves of football. Why do you think that is? Because we don't have the right type of player in our squad. And so that's why I've always been saying about blowing this lot up. I don't love them. I don't think they're good enough. And I think no matter what this guy can do, and I hope he gets supported, there's, there's a ceiling to this. I really believe that there's a ceiling to where this is. Because in the end, you can only go as far as your body takes you. And that's becoming more and more prevalent. I hope they'll get fitter. I hope some of them will grow. But some of them are going to break. And they're the ones that need to go. Yeah. Look, I, I, I think the fitness issue is now very, very clearly in focus. And uh, maybe we'll just finish with that as we get ready to say goodbye. But before we do, Paul, I just want to touch on their winner. Huge gut punch. And for me, having gotten to the point where I'm not sure I really... I cared about Arsenal, but I was losing the ability to feel devastated. You know, I, I would get angry. I'd get frustrated. But I, I wasn't feeling that emotional sadness, that devastation. Um this was devastating. I have to admit, before the Leno Howler, I was counting points and letting dreams of top four float around my head. Now it's dreams of relegation, uh, which I'm kidding. I don't see that happening, although you'd certainly have to say if we don't start winning football games, it could. Um, but but for their winner, you know, I have some sympathy for Mustafi because I don't think anybody wanted him to play. He certainly would not have been playing were it not for the injury. And he did really, really well with, with aerial clearances. I mean, he, he was he was great with the ball in the air. And that is something that he's probably underrated for because let's face it, not many of us have a very high opinion of him. But the fact is we know who this player is. He's not a good defender. He's not a guy who has a future at Arsenal. He's been a bit of a disaster since he arrived and he cannot defend in space. Now, whatever you want to say about Saka being totally unable to run, it didn't help. I I thought this was just typical Mustafi defending in space. You watch him running backwards. He's twirling around. He's doing uh, ballet moves, spinning, twisting, turning. I don't know what he's doing. He doesn't cut it out at the first opportunity. He doesn't get touched tight at the second opportunity. He gets turned onto the stronger foot. You, you cannot give the striker the turn onto a stronger foot. He does that, and it's a goal. Um, ultimately, it's a team pushing up to try to win a game and losing it, which, fair enough. But to me, if Mustafi's not on the pitch, I, I think at a minimum we probably get a point from that. How do you feel about that goal in particular, and, and is it just a case of you know, when you have bad defenders, sometimes they defend badly? Yeah, well, it's interesting you came to me on Mustafi because you know how he conflicts me. Somehow I feel something for him. The tragedy is he did the right thing on two occasions just before this, the kind of pushing up on Abraham in midfield into their half, maybe taking a foul he did once or just manhandling him. And that's where it all goes to to hell in a handbasket here. Um, And I can understand it a little bit why why it does this time rather than the other two time the ball kind of is dropping even deeper abrahams goes deeper to get it and and mustafi hesitates about how far upfield he's going to be pulled out of line if he gets turned or whatever and that's where it all goes wrong for him and you know i have some sympathy for his twinkle toes ballerina-esque twisting and turning as he's going backwards there's not a lack of not wanting to uh recover the situation or do the right thing and then you know he leaves he, he's not touched tight to Abraham he gives him the strong foot as he said so that he turns onto the right foot and then he does a ballerina scissors at, in his efforts to close it all down and he's just like man you almost had a really good game but the person who got Mustafied was you and 
unfortunately it brings all of us with us and yeah he's one of those players he's just not good enough um he's always got that mistake in him even when he'd done you know pretty much everything right to that point himself and Luis had actually done things right but i mean arteta he's asked about the naive the naivety of the goal and i think it's interesting because he says i think we had the structure really well uh, we had more numbers than the opponent and were completely in control. I think it's a five against three situation. It's the structure we need to control those sorts of situations. And, you know, our center backs are pushed right up and you, you, you can't then drop off, which is what we did. And both center backs have to drop off and suddenly we have all that space. Um, it's ironic and, too, know, right? Transitions. The, Mustafa yeah. used to be the guy that I would... I was infuriated because he would dive in at the first opportunity and take himself totally out of the play. And now he's become the guy who will back off all the way into his net, given the opportunity. I, it, I don't know what switch, yeah. but it's, that's not working either. <laughs> yeah, but the, the heartening thing on it is you can, after Arteta said that, I went back and had a look at it. And yeah, you can see what we were supposed to be doing on it. We were almost there. He did it right twice in a row that half. The third time he drops off and... You know, it's the old, the narrative. There's the old Arsenal coming through. This, this thing's going to take a little time, but we nearly snuffed out that transition correctly. Mm, yeah, and and I mean, at some point, look, guys, I watched um, uh, Virgil Van Dyke handle a one-on-one -on -one situation with Adama Traore, arguably the hardest thing to do in football right now, with pace, power, and composure in the tackle, and it was just a thing of beauty. At some point, your defenders have to do good defending. Like, I mean, we want to we want to put everything down to tactics and positioning, and that is fun to do. But like, the players have to be good enough. And to your point, Clive, like, if they're not good enough, that's just not going to work. I, you know, I have some concerns with some of these players. You know, we're playing a lot of young players, and most of them are doing their their best job to be competitive in difficult situations. Joe Willick, for example, is a guy who right now I'm not. I'm not totally sure that that's someone who's ready to be thrown in at this level of the deep end, but he's he's having to play. And I, I think in the last couple of games we've we've looked weakest when he's been on the pitch, and that's not an indictment of him. But I, I think you know, some of these guys just aren't going to be ready at this can, level. And can you, I say quickly yeah. on Elliot? Uh, I know we won't have the time to develop this, but I would ask people to go and have a look at on, on Willock? Willock when he mm -hmm. comes on. Mm -hmm. um, in general, I agree with you. I, I've been very disappointed with Willock. But in this, he did everything he was supposed to do. Well, he, he nearly scored. scored. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, should, should, I, don't I don't mean know. should have. I mean, I mean he, could, could have scored. Had a good, yeah, yeah. A good chance to, to score. Could have. Whisker. Um, will it, will, he will carries, it he rushes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying he's in great form. Okay. But I actually think if you look what he did it, when he came on, he actually fulfilled a mission. Um, and, you know, he does a lot of good, small things, kind of like Ganduzi does between 30 and 80 minutes. They don't light it up with the ball but they do a lot of what you'd want them to do in that period. Look, the thing that happened in this game, to just sort of summarize it, is Clive said it well. We are a small space team, and for a big chunk of the game, we were able to play in small spaces. And towards the end of the game, we were playing in large spaces. And just like under Emery, that's when we get easily exposed. And yeah. and that's exactly what happened. Clive, if you want to chime in real quick, you can. Otherwise, I want to go over to Tim to look ahead and, and, and sort of wrap up here. Uh, just, just quickly, yeah, Arteta recognised recognised it was a big space game. But Willock is a big space runner. I think we need to start pl look, playing him as an eight, not as a ten. That's one thing. 
And then once we see, once he can see the game a bit more in front, I think he can he can arrive because he can travel. Don't leave him up there. I don't think he's experienced enough to be just behind a striker. I just don't think he is. But travelling, he could be something decent. And- so start him deeper. And on the goal, just quickly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Team, you know that drill they're doing before the game, the back four yep. drill? Yep. What that drill is all about is about get, getting on the piston. Yeah, one player goes forward. What they're really trying to engender in the group is movement as a unit, but also they're trying to get people to communicate. Right, so that is about that's a communication drill. On that goal, one player, two men. That's exactly the scenario they're doing that drill for, and they didn't communicate. They became two separate entities, and they both just stood there. All Louise had to say was, "Go through, press him, press him, press him, press him, smash him." He could see we had time. We could see we had runners coming back. We had to smash it at source. We didn't communicate. We didn't go and get it. And that's what happened. We didn't engage. Well, the first time we didn't engage, it looked like Emery's arsehole, didn't it, running back towards the, mm-hmm. the North Bank. Yeah. Not, can not I, um, yeah, can I have a, a little nibble on that goal? Because I think actually where, where I was in the stadium, I think I had a, a better angle on this than the camera did. Um, you, you can sit, you're, you're right to cite that um, that drill, Clive, because the second that ball breaks to Abraham, I watched Louise and Louise just starts squeezing up a little bit because he thinks that Mustafi is going to go into the back of him, like you say. So exactly. Louise is, exactly. he's already anticipating, he's going, right, okay, those two are going to have a duel and if the ball squirts free, I'm in there and I'm taking it. Yeah. And then... The, the thing that really, really caught my eye, because this was almost exactly in line with where I sit, was that Louise just starts easing forward, you know, like total automaton, experienced defender thinking, yep, I know how this is going to go. And then Mustafi stops and you see Louise stop and he goes, what the f-? like you just see on his face and in his body, you see that what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, this yeah. is not what we've practiced. This is not exactly. what we've drilled. And unfortunately, that is Mustafi all fucking over. He bailed on the game plan. That is, I can guarantee you, that is, not, they will have coached that situation dozens of times, even in the yeah. week that Arteta has been there. They do it, like Clive said, they do that drill before the game. And I appreciate that Mustafi didn't start, but he's on the training ground. He understands that that's the ask, but he bails on it and he does his own thing. And that is just something we see from him time and time and time again. And, you know, you talked about Elliot, is it because, you know, Sometimes he slides on his ass like he did at Bournemouth in the last minute. He let us down on that defensive action because he went sliding on his ass. Thanks to it. Paul for pulling pulling that up in the last part, by the way. <laughs> yeah, and and Bournemouth didn't punish it, but Chelsea did because Chelsea are a better team. Mm-hmm. And he did it in he did it late on. He's done it in both games. Completely bailed on what he's been coached on what the unit has been coached to do, and and it's not about. It's not necessarily about that he loves sliding about. It's it's what I've said before. He wants the quickest exit from the situation. He wants the quickest way out of the situation to pass the responsibility on. And he's still doing it. He, even when the ball goes to Willian, 
you know, we've still got guys back. All right, Saka's huffing and puffing because he's got cramp. But Mustafi and Louise are still there. They're still actually in position. But Mustafi's still daydreaming. He's still not a lot. He's still not thinking, right, okay, they're not throwing goal yet. I'm where I need to be, more or less. How do I defend this situation? How do I get rid of this ball? He's not thinking about that. He's thinking, shit, when is this going to be over? And when yeah. can I just, like, bail on this? Mm. And that, unfortunately, with... And if Arteta's looking at who's not buying in here, there's your answer. That guy is not buying in. He will not buy in. And it's not an act of rebellion on his part. It is just a mental... Exactly. He's not able to. to. It's a mental defect that he has, that he will bail on the game plan. He will bail on what's been coached because he'll panic and he'll look for a personal private exit and he'll look to hand the responsibility off. And to conclude this rant, he should under no circumstances be in the 18 anymore. No more chances. January window opens on Wednesday and you just say to him, I'm sorry, I I don't care how many injuries we've got back here. You are no longer involved. Go and find yourself another club. We told you in the summer, you've got every right because you're under contract to stay if you want, but this time you're not sneaking back in. You're not playing Europa League. You're not playing Carabao Cup or early rounds of the FA Cup. You are done. Find yourself another club because these are the kinds of players that have to go as quickly as possible. Yeah, and look, I mean, there's a point at which you say, this is a defender who, if I play him, I will lose points because of it. How do you pick that guy? How do you use that guy? I, you know, I mean, it just, it's just that simple. The Palace game last season, I mean, he cost his top four with that. I, I mean, it's not the he, only... He internalizes. He internalizes. He, it makes it about him. And I'm, and just, just you know what? You just, just got to go, mate. Yeah. Go, go. And, and I mean, <laughs> you can have a striker who doesn't score goals when he needs to, and it's bad. It's really bad, but there are other things he can do. You can't have a defender who costs who just loses your games. You just can't. I mean, I you could say missing the the chance to score a goal is the same as letting in a goal. I don't think so. You know, I I, I don't see it that way. But well, Tim, let me ask you this just real quick. We're we're going to start to look ahead to the United game, and and since we've gone on long here, maybe just for a couple of minutes. But Arteta's got a real problem because the way he wants us to play requires a lot of <laughs> positional discipline energy running and not running in the sense of just running up and down the pitch but just staying in position keeping the distances close pressing quickly when you lose the ball that counter press and you can see that the players don't really look up for it right now and he's got a small squad and it's the middle of the season and there's fixture congestion Mm -hmm. can he reasonably implement this style with this squad in its current state given that it looks like they're just not up for it for a full game um, I I think we're gonna we're just gonna have to take some pain, both physical, both literal, and mental. More pain? Um, <laughs> is, it, is that possible? Like like probably not. And you're right; he doesn't have a lot of options for Wednesday against like a, a United team are in good form and are great on the counter and all of that. But this is um, like I view this game a little bit um, and perhaps this is apt for this time of year when you haven't been for a run for a while or you've not been for to the gym for a while and you go and for two days afterwards you're going, oh, my fucking God, I can't walk. But, you know, it's good. You know, it's like, OK, but that's my body telling me this is good, that if I keep doing this, I'll get there. And, I, you know, look, we're in a fairly unique position at the moment where the league season is officially a write off now, because if we'd won that game, would have been in five points of fourth and it's kind of still on. But now it's completely out the window. And so we're probably in a position where we can kind of afford, um, you know, a few kind of, you know, if we have to burn a few 
players and lose them to muscle injuries. You know, we're probably just going to have to do that for the greater good in the long term. So I, I share your concern immediately about Wednesday. I, I think, you know, they they look absolutely done for. And this is reason number 117 that Raul Sanyehi's job should be on the line because he thought that this was a good time to make the managerial change rather than like the November international break mm-hmm. or the October international break. Or when the summer. We could have, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I understand why they didn't do it then. Yeah. But, you know, like... This was a fucking terrible time to do it. This really was absolutely terrible and, you know, hugely incompetent decision making. But it is what it is and we've got to live with it and we can rest players against Leeds. And, you know, we've got a lot of young players. We've got some players who have, you know, like David Luiz. He came out the team for a little bit. We've done a fair bit of chopping and changing up to this period. Um, you know, Ozil hasn't played every game by any means. Torreira hasn't played every game by any means. Xhaka had, you know, gave himself a nice little mid-season break by telling everyone to fuck off. Um, so there, there are players who there, there aren't many players who've played every single game. Like it's it's a Bamiang, um, effectively at this stage. So I think he can just grit his teeth and go like, look, one more time. Um, this is another big game. Get that crowd behind you again get in front again um, and see what you can do. And even if it's a draw, like, you know, look, we're not really playing for anything, are we? So, um, you know, that that's a kind of, that's that's a bit of a, a stepping stone. But yes, in, in the short term, I, I agree. I worry about Wednesday for that reason, but I think it's a necessary evil. Yeah, and, and look, I mean, I know it sounds like I'm giving him excuses, but this is the pitch to give Arteta the job. We want you to take over a team that basically can't win anymore. We want you to take it over during the absolute most busy period of the season where you will have no time to work with them and no time to get them rested and fit and prepared. And we want you to use a a teenage forward at left back and a 22-year-old midfielder at right back and have no center backs. And in both of your first two games, we want you to lose one of them to injury so you only have two subs. We want two of your first three games to be Chelsea and United. You know, it goes on and on. And, you know... And, and and oh, by the way, you know, half the squad that you have available anyways, kids. It's just, it's a really difficult situation for anyone to come into. And this is what he has to cope with. Now, this is why he paid the big bucks and why he gets the job is because he they trust that he can cope with it. And I have to admit, there's been enough good things in the first two games to feel good about it. But I do worry a little bit about the United game because this is a team that just desperately needs something positive to happen. And we certainly don't look set up to do it. So, Clive, I'll, I'll throw it over to you with a, a quick question about the United game. Just for the sake of having fresh legs, he's got to start Pepe, right? <laughs> if not now, when? <laughs> yeah, I, I hope he does. I, I really hope he does. But like we've like we spoken about Mustafi, Pepe has to buy in. He can't be, you know, we can't treat him any different to anybody else. He can't be jogging about. He can't be making insecure decisions in the last third and, and creating a transition game. We need him to buy in. We know he's got the talent. When he's on the pitch, um, do you see him not buying in? Just out of, I mean, I, sorry to cut across you, but like I hear that he has to buy in, and a lot of that is coming from rumors of like, well, there must be something on the training ground. And there's a lot of extrapolating and assuming and guessing and, and reading the tea leaves. When I see him on the pitch, I mean, okay, maybe he slows play down a little because he, he likes to take the extra dribble or the extra touch, but I don't see a guy who's not buying in. Do you? Yeah, I've heard some rumors. I don't really want to repeat them because they come they come from a really good source. I don't want to. That's a crazy. Say, but and, it's, and to it's, be fair, Arteta has hinted at it. 
in terms of training, how he, how he's applied himself and that kind of thing. So there's something when I, there. When I, when I say buy-in, well, this is, I'm going to allude to it now. When I say buy-in, you, you have to buy into the group. So it's not just how you're training, it's how you're behaving and, and what you're doing within the group, even post-training. That's as much as I'm going to say. Mm. You know, and you need to connect to your teammates. That's all I'm saying. And um, that's just not on the pitch. That's off the pitch. We only see them in their day of their fun day of work. There's a there's an Keep office. Keep him talking, Elliot. He's nearly there. Uh, yeah, there's, <laughs> an, there's, there's an office at London Colney, which is their is their place of work. Really, Emirates is the fun day, and you know how you behave in that environment is what is what really 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 makes you a player in the squad and I think um, he's got work to do in that regard and some of that he just needs to sell in so that that's fine that's a that's, a, that's just we we, I, we shouldn't really even um, really think about that too much but in the end we have a, a much weaker squad than we had last year even though we got excited mostly about Pepe, really, and um, and that hasn't worked out. And some of those um, seven, six and a half out of ten players in, you know, Wobi and Mikatarian, and um, well, we sort of missed them on the bench now, didn't we? Coming on, giving us six and a half out of ten, taking those few minutes away from, and we've replaced them really with Nelson and Saka, who are doing fantastic, and these minutes are going to hold them in good stead. But they are exceeding expectations, going beyond what we thought they could ever do, and it's it's very difficult to to rely on. You know, I think Mikatarian anyway. I'm not sure any goals they scored last year, but you know, we we're asking Nelson to score for us and work up and down the line. It's it's a lot. It really is a lot, and he's doing great. But that's why we're in the situation that we're in, and we're very reliant on some of those senior forwards. And I'm afraid the mentality of our senior forwards is very questionable. It's very questionable. And uh, we this is, puts us in a very dangerous situation because without the goals, then we are looking down, not looking up. Mm. Well, I, I guess the real question now, guys, and I, I just want to get maybe like 30 seconds from each of you on this. And, and that's it. Like legit 30 seconds. Not like, and now we've hit the two hour mark. Um, Paul, I've always sort of wondered how does a mid-table team fan get through a football season? What is it that drives them other than cups? Like, And I guess we're there now. So top four is gone. The season is a, a busted flush for domestically, the, the, the league season. I guess the excitement now is just seeing what Arteta does with this group and seeing if we make progress. How are you going to watch this league season now just as a fan? What it, What is... We haven't had to do this. I mean, I, in in my lifetime as an Arsenal fan, I've never had to do this. Just grind out a season. I mean, I guess you could say in Arsenal's last last season as coach, we kind of gave up on the league in February, but it's it's not January yet. So how do you how are you going to approach the league season just from a, a viewing standpoint now? Yeah, on a personal basis, I actually find it as fascinating seeing a group of people trying to dig themselves out of a hole. Um, so. I won't actually have any difficulty having interest in in the process. Um, thank God the guy at the center of it is one of the few guys on the planet I'd be interested in trying to see solve the problem. Um, so that in itself has its own fascination. The biggest difficulty for me is not all the things you've listed. It's 
the most painful aspect of it is the fan support part of it. I'm not beating up on anybody. It's just fans don't do well when they're losing or when the team isn't doing well. And we we all know this ourselves. You know, you very quickly get into the finger pointing. We don't do well uh, with loss. We protect ourselves from defeat because defeat feels like a kind of death. And that brings out the strongest emotions in people. And it all gets ugly quickly. And so the good thing, you know, we've tried hard in this podcast to talk about this game up to the 81-minute mark. You know, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. On a personal basis, I'd have no... If there wasn't a rest of the world, if I just watched these games on TV and then shut off, um, I'd be fine with the rest of the season. It's it's the... you just know what's going on with the fans and, and you're concerned that they're uh, going to contribute to when things are on a knife edge from uh, being able to keep the positives uh, and it tilting towards the negative and the baby goes with the bathwater. So that that's going to be the most painful aspect. You need some results. Um, even if it should all be about performance and it should all be about um, having a process that's heading in the right direction, but bad results can can capsize a boat. Yeah, I mean that's fair, and I think you have to ask the the, the danger here, Tim, is the balance in the squad is such that you have young players who might be willing to buy into a project without um without winning right away, but you got a lot of senior players that are already reaching for the exit. So Bami Yang's camp talking about wanting to be gone in January. Shaka probably is gone in January. Lacazette almost surely will not stay another season. Um, pause on Twitter. Pause on my pants. Next pause. Bye. Bye. Um, so just as a last thought here, I mean, both as a fan, but also as players, do you worry that even with a bright young coach who looks like he maybe has good ideas and really could potentially lead us somewhere special in the long run, that the lack of a competitive season ahead of us in the league is going to make it difficult for him to keep the players committed and, and really get get a fair chance to, to start his project out on the right foot. Uh, yeah, possibly. Um, I, I kind of tend to think that probably needs to happen anyway. And, you know... Look, it, I'm, I'm not going to downside, uh, downplay like the size of the rebuild job, but at the same time, like you look at this team and you think, well, this team and these players haven't really delivered anything anyway. Yeah, it, so who it, cares? It, it's not. <laughs> it's kind of. It's not a long-term team. Most of these players have only been here a couple of years, and we're already turning them over. And, and actually, you kind of think, yeah, it, it was a short-term team, um, as you've said many times. It was a must-win now team. It hasn't won now. We always like. In many respects, actually, I think this is slightly easier for Arteta because he's not walking into some of the situations Emery walked into with Ramsey and Ozil and, you know, he's just signed a Bamiang and Lacazette. Like a lot of these guys are getting older and getting closer to the end of contract. And I have a feeling that Arteta will want to work with certain types of player. Um, and that he might be able to do that. I'm I'm quite enthused by what he can do with the young players because um, I see them more as kind of unspoiled lumps of clay who can really buy in. Um, I, I think it's easier for them to to buy into what he's doing. So, um, I, I mean, I do worry a little bit because it's going to be difficult, but I, I don't think I ever had any illusions that it was going to be any different. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm I'm really enthused by everything that Arteta has said and most of what he's done so far. I I I think we're in good hands. And if look, that doesn't mean that 
everything's going to be fine and we're going to be league champions in three years. But um, I, I think I think we're in decent hands. It's 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 a tough job, but I think we've got the right guy to do it. Yeah, I I am still on board with that as well. I think hitting the 90 minute mark and surpassing it when we've got pods every two days is probably going to handle it for us. So um, what we will do is remind you that there will be a Memories of the Decade pod with Tim Clark from Ars to Mouse uh, for patrons on New Year's Eve. But if you are not joining us for that, which will make me sad, but if, if not, I totally understand, then I want to wish you a very, very happy and healthy New Year and prosperity in the New Year, both for you, for your family, and for your football club most of all. I wish that for you, Tim, who you can find on Twitter at Stilberto. Thank you very much. I wish see you. Yeah, thank you. I wish that to you, Clive, who you can find on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thank you very much. I'm back at you, son. Thank you, sir. You will certainly be ending your year listening to Clive singing. That will be out in the not-too-distant future and certainly before the year ends, so look for that coming to a streaming platform near you. I certainly wish Paul a happy new year, even though he abandoned us early just prior to the end of it. Um, and and from all of us, thank you for sharing the year with us. Thank you for sharing Arsenal together and, and the community that we forged on social media and Discord and all over the place and just generally. We love you and, and hope you have a, a wonderful, happy, healthy, and safe new year and a prosperous 2020. And the same to Arsenal. And we will certainly get that kicked off by talking to you after Arsenal 10, Manchester United. No. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.